Our friends and neighbors, Sheila and Kinsey Gilbert, started a ministry called Food for Kids several years ago now, and they feed kids lunches in the summer every day from the time school gets out in the spring to the time school starts again in the fall, and they're giving away 150 lunches a day to kids who might otherwise go without. But that ministry doesn't just end when school starts in the spring or in the fall, but um, at Thanksgiving, they give away over 300 turkeys and so much more to families in the Midtown area. They make sure that families have Christmas trees, and they find school supplies and shoes and clothes for kids all year round. And they're just, they just love children, and they're always listening, and they're always attentive, and they're always giving. And people are often asking them, how can I help? How can I be involved? How can I serve you? And I love the way that Sheila answers that question because she doesn't just express a need or she doesn't just delegate a task, but she extends an invitation. And she says, come and see. Come down and see what we're doing and ask God to help you discern where you fit in, what you have to offer, what you want to do in the lives of these kids. And this morning I've asked Amy Teschner to come and tell you the story of how her family has responded to the invitation to come and see. Um, we've been coming to Wellspring about a year and a half, and uh, one of the things that struck me uh, from the very beginning was just the community outreach that this church um, participates in, whether it's food for kids or helping at Edison or the various things um, that they choose to get involved in. And so I was excited um, when I heard about food for kids. I didn't know what it was, but I was still excited because I thought it might be something that I could be a part of. So they announced that there was a meeting uh, one Sunday before church, and so I made my family come early, and I went to the meeting, and that's where I met Barb and Barb Larson, and she um, was just on fire about food for kids and what they did um, for the kids in the community, and so um, right as soon as school got out, you just start that week, and uh, Wellsprings Day to go down and serve is on Fridays, so every Friday this summer um, is when Wellspring and whoever wants to be involved, which I'm hoping more of you will um, in the future. But anyway, um, I didn't know what to expect when I first started, so I just showed up, and um, actually on Thursday mornings we packed 150 lunches. There was three or four of us on a regular basis that did that. Um, So we started um, packing the lunches and then going down on Friday mornings. And it's not so much about, I mean, it's definitely about giving the lunches away, but it's also just forming those friendships, talking with the kids. Um, Somebody falls and skins their knee, you, you know, give them the attention and love that they want and need at that time. So it didn't take long to start building relationships. If you go once, you know, you'll kind of get the idea. But going every week um, was what I really loved, um, just starting those friendships and relationships. And um, one thing that really caught me by surprise was um, my son couldn't go the first few weeks because he was at Bridge to Bodie. So I was talking to some of the boys there. There's a lot of boys. I mean, there's a few girls, but mostly boys. So um, I was talking to some of the middle school boys, and are you going to play football this year? What's going on? You know, what do you like to do? Yeah, we play football. And um, so anyway, the conversation kept going, and they knew my son. I was like, how do you know my son? I'm at 19th and Angelique. How do you know? (laughs) You know my, okay. So they knew him. They knew the team he played on. Well, come to find out they had played together. So that was an instant um, thing that we could share was, um, you know, they were on the same football team as my son. And um, so 
uh, a couple of the boys, well, probably more than a couple, um, are kind of known for being ornery and being in trouble. And um, so I just took the position as being a friend to them. I wasn't there to come down on them. I wasn't there to um, criticize them. But I just wanted them to know that I'm not your parent. I'm not your teacher. I'm, I'm your friend. I'm here to, you know, listen to you and be with you on a regular basis. And um, so they as they got to know me better and I got to know them, I said, listen, I'm going to treat you like I do my own kids. Um, so I kind of assumed that parent role after a while, but they did respect that. And we did things outside of food for kids. Like I said, once you build those relationships, you can do that. So we would go school supply shopping. We go out to eat, um, took some of them to Bible study and, oh good, there's pictures. You'll see one picture. Um, there were more kids than seatbelts, so don't tell. I hope there's nobody in here that cares. Um, but anyway, I uh, didn't know that I needed a school bus when I picked kids up for Bible study, but I did that week. Um, I was sad thinking that summer was going to be coming to an end because I really loved this ministry. And when I told my daughter, um, she's 10, and I said, oh, I have to you know, stand up and say something Sunday about food for kids. She goes, oh, you are obsessed with that. So I hope that more of you can feel the same, you know, if you get involved. But anyway, I was sad thinking that summer was coming to an end and I might not see some of these kids. Um, so one of my son's teammates um, was talking about the upcoming practices. And previously, he had ridden his bike several blocks down to Noise Field to practice last year, a, a year ago. And um, so he was assuming he would do the same. Well, this year, for seventh grade football, practice was out at Arrowhead Park off of Gene Field and Leonard Road. Well, he was just going to ride his bike. And I said, well, I don't, that's not going to work, you know. And you could see the look in his eyes. How am I going to, how? I have to, you know, how's he going to get there? So I said, listen, you call me if you need a ride to practice. I will, I will make sure that happens. So the night of equipment pickup, um, I get a call. Miss Amy? can you take me to practice? Sure, I'll take you to practice every day from July through October. <laughs> and um, I was happy to do it. I mean, I offered, and um, we just had a lot of bonding time that we could um, share. So anyway, um, there was another boy that picked up on me going to this apartment complex every day at 5 o'clock to pick up the other boy for practice. And um, so he would meet me at my car window every day. What do you got? You got anything in there? Do you have any snacks? He wasn't, he just wanted to snack. He didn't, you know, he just wanted to be there. And um, so every day he, well, not every day, but for a while he would meet me at my car window. Can I go? What are you doing? Can I go? Well, I got to go home. I got to cook supper. Well, can I go? Can I, you know, every day he just wanted to go. Didn't matter what I was doing. So one night I said, well, you call your mom make sure, you know, mom doesn't know me, but anyway, call your mom, get the okay. So he came with me. I didn't know what we were going to do. I said, uh, you know, you want to go get dinner? Sure. Where do you want to go? We had Chinese at the mall. And then I was like, well, I have to go home and get some stuff done while my son's at practice, and then I'll take this kid back. And so he just came over and hung out. Well, he got on my phone, which a lot of the food for kids, kids like to do, you know, get on your phone and play games and whatever. So um, he pulled up some Michael Jackson music. I love Michael Jackson, the old Michael Jackson. So he was playing these songs, and I was singing along, and he was like, you, you know these songs? Yeah, I know these songs. And he'd play another one, and I'd say the name of it, sing along again. It was just not a big deal probably to a lot of you, but to this kid, we had something in common, you know? 
we were just hanging out, having a good time. And um, I kind of want to see the pictures because I feel like I'm missing out. Um, But anyway, it was just an evening that we could hang out, like I said, outside of Food for Kids. It wasn't, you know, this was, school had already started. And that also gave me a time to talk to him. You know, how's school going? Are you behaving? Are you getting your homework done? Because I'm not sure there's a lot of people in his life that care. But I don't say any of these things to pat myself on the back. I say these to encourage you to find a way to get involved in something meaningful, whether it's food for kids or something else. Um, I foresee many relationships that can grow and blossom over the next few years um, with these kids in particular, but also my friends that I have met, um, Sheila and Kinsey, who spend hours and hours and hours um, preparing and doing things for these kids. Um, Barb, I've, like I said, I've got to know her. And then um, even my neighbors, Eric and April and um, Erica Bruder, we live one street away from each other. I did not know them until I started doing food for kids. How embarrassing is that? We live in the same neighborhood. I drive past their house all the time and didn't meet them until food for kids. So another, you know, just another way to form relationships. Wellspring has played an important role um, supporting Food for Kids over the years, and it's such an important thing for these kids and their future. Um, I would just encourage you, if you have gifts and talents that you can um, provide during these times, during the summer, um, it doesn't cost anything to come down there and play with them. It just is time that makes you feel that you've spent worthwhile. Um, we have, There's different groups that come down. They'll play games. They'll bring... I don't know, prizes, and there's just all kinds of ways to spend out, uh, spend down there. Others may not have time during the week, but want to help out in a financial way, and that's something that Bob talked about a while back was, you know, maybe you have the time, maybe you have the financial resources, um, and maybe not both. Food for Kids serves um, over 150 lunches every summer. Um, If we have extras, trust me, they're gone, and they have to turn away people um, usually every day. So that's 12 weeks, which translates into 60 days. And I couldn't believe this till I did the math. I even had my husband, I said, no, I did that right, right? That's 9,000 lunches in one summer. And I thought maybe I miscalculated because I'm not the best in math. But 9,000 lunches packed by hand with love for these kids. As you can imagine, it takes a lot to get that accomplished. Um, Sheila and Kinsey, like I said, put in tons of hours in the morning, starting early in the morning when it's still dark, setting up tables, um, tents, filling swimming pools with ice for the water bottles to keep them cool, um, setting up tables for free clothing, free books, things that they give away. It's churches like ours that help them um, make this a reality and a possibility day after day, year after year, summer after summer. Along with all of the man hours it takes to make this successful, it also takes money to buy the many boxes of chips, Rice Krispie treats, fruit cups, uh, water bottles, and juice boxes. I would ask that each of you consider how you and your family can be a part of Food for Kids, either by giving of your time and talents or your financial resources. And just because Food for Kids wants to be a part of these lives more than June, July, and August, um, there is the turkey drive that Stacy had mentioned. Um, they give over 300 turkeys, and that's only possible through donations. If you've purchased a turkey for Thanksgiving recently, you know how much you know that is, and if you take that times 300 or more. Um, so with the funds that our church raises, we are also able to help um, provide for families uh, during the 
Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Our church has set a goal of $5,500 to help raise for these events next year. When you think of the number of lunches served, you can see how the cost adds up quickly. Please consider helping fund our efforts for Food for Kids and know that 9,000 lunches are truly appreciated from the youngest to the oldest. Well, our, uh, we have a theme for Advent this year, and that theme is light. As you can tell, there's a lot of light in here. I have just a little, little video to start us off this morning. So. All right. <laughs> That's all we got. Great. You can turn that light on. Yes. Let there be light. Correct. So in the first two verses there of Scripture, um, we are introduced initially to this theme of darkness. The first couple of verses of the Bible say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in the third verse of Scripture, we're introduced to this theme of light. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so God conquers darkness by commanding light into existence from the very beginning. And, and the reality of this kind of sets this storyline that you can see throughout the entirety of Scripture, this battle between light and darkness. And after this brief victory uh, in the beginning, Adam and Eve... Uh, through their choices, plunge uh, humanity into a spiritual darkness by taking sides with the dark one, disobeying the commands of God in the garden. And since that day, God, the God of light, has been inserting himself day after day after day into the life and the story of his people, drawing them, calling them back to the light and into his presence. So when God's people, um, uh, the Israelites, are, are in the beginning of the Bible, you see them and they're captives in Egypt, they're slaves, and God approaches this guy named Moses, and he does so uh, through a burning bush, through a light, and through a voice. He says, Moses, you're the guy. You're going to lead my people out of captivity. And so Moses reluctantly kind of agrees to the task, and by the way, we always have a choice to either move towards the light or to stay in the darkness. And so begins Moses' journey as the great liberator. And so God uses him and sends down plague after plague after plague on the Egyptians to kind of display his power, and Moses is the, the spokesman for God. And one of those is the plague of darkness. In Exodus 10, you see this passage. 
It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And that great exodus out of Egypt, that was just the beginning because then the God's people go out and they go out into the desert and across the Red Sea and God's presence stays with them. And it said that during the day there would be a pillar of clouds that would lead the people. When the cloud moved, the people moved. But at night it said there would be a pillar of fire. And sometimes God had the people move at night in the darkness. And so he provided light to show them the way through that time as well. And when God became man, if we fast forward the story ahead, in the form of this Christ child, the angel, it says, that the angels appeared and says, the glory of the Lord shone brightly around the shepherds that were out in the fields that night, pushing back the darkness and announcing the arrival, the arrival of Jesus who called himself the light of the world. And so Advent, the season that we're in, is a season of preparation, a time of, of expectation, of waiting for the coming of this Christ, the light of the world. And so each week as we light one more candle, it's kind of a visual reminder of, of the darkness being pushed back in ever-increasing intensity. But light isn't just a metaphor. It's an actual description of the character and nature of God. I want you to turn your Bibles uh, to 1 John, page 855. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, page 855. The Zwerinks uh, read this during their, their time this morning. Verse 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. So if you want to understand the character of God, then you need to understand the character and nature of light. What light does, God does. Whatever light accomplishes, God can accomplish in our life. So let, let's take a little poll here. What are some of the functions of light? What, what is, what's the nature of light? What does it do for us? Yes. It helps us see. Yes, it does. What else? Yeah. Bring life. Brings life. Okay. Warmth. Warmth. What else? Provides power, okay. Yeah, energy, sure. Yeah, it guides us. Good, great, you guys are doing great. Today, those are all right answers. Today, we're gonna focus on three kind of specific things that light does. We're gonna talk about how light reveals. We're gonna talk about how light saves by, by showing us a way through the darkness. And we're gonna talk about how light energizes, okay. So let's begin with the revealing nature of light. Okay, darkness conceals, light reveals. And I have a great story uh, that, that will hopefully um, bring home this truth. So I was in college. 
Um, and it was my sophomore year, and we had a fall break, so we had a Friday off of school. So uh, I went to college with a couple of uh, the girls that I went to high school with that ran cross-country with me were also at college at Missouri State. We were great friends, and so we decided, we got this Friday off, that we were going to go drive from Springfield up to Osage Beach at the lake, and we were going to go to the outlet malls, okay? So... We made this plan. Thursday night, we went to our Christian ministry meeting, and it got over, and so we hit the road about 10 p.m., and we're going to drive up there, and we're going to camp out, and then get up early and go shopping the next day, kind of a little adventure. So me and these two girls, so we drive up there, and I'm kind of half asleep in the back seat. By the time we get there, it's like 1130 or midnight, and they're kind of driving around looking for some place for us to put a tent up to sleep. Okay, so I'm not really not paying much attention. And there, I don't know, we keep going to a bunch of different spots. And so finally they, they pull over and arrive at this place and I guess decide that it's a good spot for us. So I just am tired. I just get out, get the tent up, get in our sleeping bags, go to sleep. Okay, so the next morning, early, uh, there's this guy outside shaking our tent, like, and kind of wake us up and get us out of here. And so we're like, what's going on? And so we, you know, zip it up and kind of stick our heads out, and this is this guy in this uniform, and he says, do you guys understand that you're on a firing range right now? <laughs> and we're like, no, he's like, you got to get out of here. People are coming with guns soon, and, and sure enough, you know, once you get out of the tent, in the light of day, you look around, and you're like, oh, all the things that you couldn't see in the dark, right, are, are incredibly clear in the light. So we still laugh about, about that time, right? Um, but light always allows us to see things as they've, have the, as they've always been all along. But for whatever reason, we couldn't see things as they really were because of our own spiritual blindness, our, our arrogance, our pride sometimes, and sometimes just our ignorance. And as God's light shines into our life, he reveals our true reality, the reality about our character flaws inside of us, sometimes the reality of the, the misperceptions that we have about him or about other people, or sometimes the misperceptions that we have about our circumstances. But this revelation doesn't happen all at once. It's kind of this gradual process that happens over the course of our life. As God's light breaks in to our life and we yield to that, he continues to reveal more and more of kind of the truths behind life's great mysteries. I read um, uh, a little quote from a guy who's a pastor named Ray Stedman. He described kind of how this process happened in his own life. He said, this time of year always makes me remember the days when, as a young man, I was entering college for the first time. That was a critical period in my life. Like so many young men and women facing college, I was not at all sure what I was getting into. I had an outward appearance of confidence and the ability to handle anything that came, but within I had a deep sense of uncertainty. I was aware that I really did not know the ground rules of life. I pretended I did, but I didn't, and inside I knew it. It was like trying to play a game when you didn't know the rules, but were trying to guess them as you went along. It was rough. I was baffled, as all young people are baffled by the great questions of life. What am I here for? What is it really all about? What, is, what really is worthwhile about life, and how do you tell? How do you fit death into the whole picture? How can I understand and control myself so as to handle rightly what comes? 
The more I learned about life, the more baffled I became until I met Jesus Christ and began to understand the message of his life and the message revealed in his word. Bit by bit, things began to come clear. First, the answers to some of the greater issues. What is life all about? What happens after death? Where do we go from here? Then details began to filter through the fog, and little by little, things became much clearer. I confess to you that much remains, but I am no longer confused. The road ahead is clear. And then he had this really amazing insight. He says, out of my darkness, one fact became increasingly clearer to me. A great mystery was cleared up that impinged upon every other question of my life. I discovered that it was the key to many things. It was the fact that the solution to most of my problems lay within me. The problems were not outside of me, as I once thought, the way other people acted, but it was me. I was the big problem. As I began to see that, I saw what it was in me that was creating the problems. Little by little, I began to understand myself. The mystery of self was revealed by the light as it shone upon me from the word of the only one who knows what is in man. I began then to see the answers to the problems of life. So light reveals. Secondly, light saves. It saves because it it shows us a way through the darkness. Before there was a lot of technology, back in the day, if you were out on the ocean, in the middle of the ocean, there was nothing worse for a navigator than to have cloudy nights, right? Because the way that you, you know, navigated was by the North Star. And so when the clouds would open up and you could actually see the North Star, which is a fixed point, then you could then determine your longitude and latitude exactly where you are. And then you could also chart a course for where it is that you wanted to go, but you needed light to do that. And like light, God's nature is to save. His desire is to help us avoid calamity as much as possible in this life. And his word is that light. I want you to open your Bibles and turn them over to Psalm 119, page 427. Psalm 119, page 427, starting in verse 89. This whole psalm, a lot of it is talking about God's word, and he uses a lot of different synonyms like precepts or law. Okay, it's all talking about the word of God. Starting in verse 89, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues throughout, through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Man, don't you wish you had that kind of hunger and desire for God's word like this writer does? That dependence? God is light. And light will save us if we choose to walk by it. But once again, it's, it's a choice that we have to make to walk in that light. So light reveals, light saves, and finally light energizes it. It imparts life. It activates things. It's funny, when I wake up on a Sunday morning and I step outside of my house, one of the first things I always think about is how bright it is. Because when I get here, I know that depending on how bright it is, is going to be the amount of light that's going to come in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. And when it's really bright and there's a lot of light shining through there, there's a lot of energy in this room. And when it isn't, there isn't much. And so I know going in that if it's cloudy outside, I'm going to have to work twice as hard. Honestly, I've got to bring the energy. (laughs) If there isn't energy coming through those windows, I'm going to have to bring it. And so I always dread those mornings a little bit when it's kind of overcast. I'm like, oh, man, it just feels heavy, right? Listen to this description Uh, by a guy named Philip Brooks, his pastor, about the role of light. He says, When the sun rose this morning, it found the world in darkness, torpid and heavy and asleep, with powers all wrapped up in sluggishness, with life that was hardly better or more alive than death. The sun found this great sleeping world and woke it. It bade it to be itself. It quickened every slow and sluggish faculty. It called to the dull streams and said, Be quick, to the dull birds and bade them sing, to the dull fields and made them grow, to the dull men and bade them think and talk and work. It flashed electrical uh, invitations to the whole mass of sleeping power, which really was the world, and summoned it to action. It did not make the world. It did not start another set of processes unlike those which have been sluggishly moving in the darkness. It poured strength into the essential processes which belong to the very nature of the earth. It glorified, intensified, fulfilled the earth. God is light. And his very nature and character are revealed in the qualities of light. Light reveals, light saves, light energizes. And we should expect that as followers of Christ, as we move towards the light and we hunger and thirst for more of him and for more of his truth, that what we would receive is light. That in his presence, everything would start to make more sense. As Ray Steadman talked about, things would start to become more clear. The reality of who we really are, the reality of who God really is, who others are, what our circumstances mean and say about us and about our life and what they don't say about us, In John chapter 8, when Jesus came, he said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, that's an amazing promise, and we're going to begin examining a little bit more about who Jesus was and and those things that he said, the the names that he gave himself, light of the world. What does that really mean? And tell us about him. But today I want to leave us with this, something else that Jesus said. John 3, 19. He said, this is the verdict. 
Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Dang it. Man, that describes me so often. Can you relate to that? Why, when offered light, do I sometimes choose darkness instead? And I think if I'm honest with myself, I would say that for one, I'm a little bit nervous about what the light might reveal in my life. And I also would say that if I'm honest, I would probably say that sometimes I kind of doubt the intentions of the guy with the flashlight. That I'm not always so sure that as God kind of shines his light into the corners and crevices of my soul, that I would just as soon kind of remain hidden. That he really wants what's best for me. That in revealing those things and maybe coming to terms with who I can be, that there's actually good hope, victory on the other side of that. When sometimes it just feels like for, for myself to know those things and for somebody else to know it just feels like death. It doesn't really feel like life. And so I've got a ways to go in my own life to be being truly open to his presence in me. And so God's desire as we head into this season of Advent is, is for one, it's to push back the darkness in each one of our hearts. But it's also so that then we can be used to push back darkness in this world around us. So that we can do that, so that this church can do that in, in this neighborhood and city that we live in, so we can be a blessing to them. So let's join God in that process of being open to what he wants to do in us as he shines that light into our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your nature. I thank you, God, just for your constant drive to get our attention. God, to, to be light and life in us. Lord, any time that, that somebody, uh, we get a glimpse into your throne in Scripture, it's always this image of this blinding light, this unbelievable radiance that comes from you that is just pure, where there is just no darkness at all, nothing hidden, no secrets, nothing, just truth. God, I pray that that would be the desire for each one of us, that, that we would just desire to really know the truth about ourselves, to know the truth about you, God, so that we can love you more purely, so that we can love others more purely as well. So Lord, we invite you to speak to us during this season of Advent. God, shine your light. Help us to trust you in that process. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.